0: Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine, where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. All right, um, let's dig in here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, beginning. And uh, let's start into the Word. The text says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. the word of the lord amen so i'm going to ask you in just a moment um what uh, same questions last time what line what phrase what um verse here really jumped out at you or speaks to you or impressed you in the reading but before we get into our discussion let's take a moment to pray together oh father as we look into your word tonight and as we um study it together we pray oh god that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would show us more of your will for us, show us more of the beauty of our Savior, Jesus. Help us to see your goodness um, in your plan and help us, Lord, to understand what it is you desire from us as your people. Help us, Lord, to live out our mission that you've called us to uh, in your word and to do so faithfully until you return. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, let's start out, um, just open floor here um, and come off of mute. Make sure to come off of mute whenever you're going to share something. Um, But in verses 11 down through verse 25, uh, what jumped out at you? What stood out to you in the reading? Um, What did you notice? What impressed you or what maybe struck you as you were reading these verses? Um, First impressions uh, as you're reading these, uh, these verses and as we're discussing this, so. I like verse 20, where it talks about if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, where you're not complaining, you're not groaning, you're not mumbling, you're suffering, and you're enduring it without complaining. And God yeah. will certainly honor that. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. Thanks for sharing, Mark. All right. Anybody else? What, what, uh, what stood out to you in the reading here, verses 11 down through verse 25? Uh,
1: So I like um, verse 23 to 25. It reminds me so much of Isaiah 53, which I love. Um, Just the, you know, the same kind of, I guess it's written in the same way. Like, you know, he suffered for us and um, I just like it.
0: Yeah, I think that's an intentional connection there that Peter's making with Isaiah 53. Very good. Very good. Good connection.
2: All right. Brian, yeah, it always kind of, um, it always kind of stands out to me. The uh, part about um, bearing um, incorrect pain un- of unjust suffering because you're being conscious to God. Um, I'm, I, I guess it's not this one, but there's another quote where they talked about that, and they said. You know, that when God was punished, when Christ was punished unjustly, he, he clung to the Father. Um, I think, I don't know if it's this one, but um, I like that idea because it's um, it can help when you're not sure if you should. Uh, um, uh, say you're at work, you're not sure about a situation and you feel like maybe you're being not necessarily punished, but you're somehow being uh, maybe. Uh, revoked or kind of put aside, and and you're not sure to say something. And rather than say something and like offend your boss, who's your superior, um, you can decide to, you know, take the talk or whatever it is. And uh, if it is unjust then you're suffering because you're thinking of in God's way, you wanna you wanna respect your boss.
0: Okay. Good. Anybody else want to share what it, what stood out to you in the reading today in verses? Uh... Eleven down through verse twenty-five. I already
3: told everybody. Right hey, everybody! Yeah, it was- you it oh, it is
0: Denise. Very good. Good to have you.
3: I got ten minutes.
0: <laughs> oh, great! Great.
3: Um, I, I guess uh, from the reading in uh, verse thirteen, um, w- that's what stood out to me. Verse thirteen, and verse fifteen. It there it says, um, be subject to every human institution, and it gives the reason. It's for god's sake you know to take us out of the picture this is because of god um and god is going to use it as in verse 15 to silence the ignorance of foolish people uh, by doing this good so a part of our christian walk uh is to show god you know to people for, for his sake so this is what god is asking us to do to be subject to uh these uh human institution. And he mentions like the king is supreme. So I guess it puts me in mind of like Daniel. um, And I think Daniel chapter one or chapter two, where, you know, he subjected himself to the Babylonian empire, but not so much to, um, to be corrupted by them when he uh, tried to not eat their food. Um, But he, you know, served the king. Um, Very honorably, Um, all three kings, I think, uh, throughout that whole uh, chapter. And uh, we saw it with like the Medes and the Persians, like they really honored him. Um, Darius really honored him and called him friends. So um, just just my thought on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very good. Good connection there with the book of Daniel too. Uh, That's helpful, helpful to think about in light of the teachings here today. All right. Good. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's a lot here to kind of pull apart and pick apart um, and talk about. Um, I, I do want to. I do want to start where we left off last time in verse 11 and 12. Um, remember in verse 11 and 12, one that he reminds us that we are sojourners and exiles, um, and we've been talking a lot about this throughout the study that we are exiles in this world. We should not feel at home in this world, that we are strangers, we're sojourners, um, we're foreigners, we're aliens, um, and, uh, and that is our identity as Christians in a world that's ruled by the evil one. Um, and then he says that you're to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and to keep your conduct among the generals honorable. Uh, And what's the reason? Notice the reason why he says you need to be fighting against the passions of the flesh and you need to keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Um, Why? Well, so that when people speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So notice here the... The the main aim, the mission of our life is to live in such a way that our good deeds lead other people who may be actually the ones hating us or reviling us or inflicting suffering upon us or speaking against us, that somehow by our conduct, they will eventually come to glorify God. That's the goal uh, that we're after as the people of God. And so in this particular section... Um, he begins to talk about that more specifically um, by saying that I, the way that mission is going to be fulfilled, the way that we're going to live out our, um, our mission in Christ to, to lead others, to glorify God, the way we're going to fulfill that, the way we're going to keep our conduct honorable and fight against the fleshly desires and, and do good deeds is through being subject, being subject. So I want to ask this question as we get going here, because I think this is important. What is the meaning of this word to be subject? Um, and what are some different areas, uh, just from the reading today, that Peter makes clear that we need, to, we need to work on subjection? What do you see in the reading? What are some of the different ways in which we need to be subject? So first, uh, what does it mean to be subject? And, and then we'll talk about what are some of the different areas here where Peter says we need to be in subjection. Anybody want to take take a stab at defining that word for us? Go ahead, Daniel.
4: Uh,
5: subject um, to be in um, you're under their authority. You're ob- oblig- kind of obligatory. Uh, you're obligated to do what they what they ask of you or what they expect of you.
0: Okay, good. Uh, It's a pretty good definition, um, but there's probably some different ways to say, to define uh, subjection or being subject. So anybody else want to add to that definition or or define it a little bit different way? What does it mean to be subject? It's almost like you're
1: being supervised.
0: Okay. There's a supervisory element to it. There is a supervisory element to it. there's an authority element there um yeah, so there's there's somebody over me if I'm being subject um Ryan
2: yeah, I think it's um you know when you're under the governing authorities that are in this world um you know obviously if we're told something um you know to do it like Daniel, but also the laws that the um our governing authorities have laid out basically uh follow them, and I think it would be implied unless they go directly against God, but to, you know, to be following them, not to be uh, lawbreakers, not to be rebelling uh, for no reason. And and, uh, I I think also to talk with respect, uh, the rulers, um, like I think was it Nehemiah, you know, when we could have, um, you know, we could be disrespectful, um, but choosing not to be uh, and maybe being critical, but with respect but I think there's the good. the implication of following laws.
0: Okay, good. Um, I think I saw Mike and Candace and then uh, Ruth. So
1: um, just to be in submission, because I guess he talks about um, at first in verse 13, like submission to the government. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse 18, you know, he talks about submission to masters. And then even when he goes on in chapter three, after this, he starts talking about submission Um, of wives to husbands so I guess you know the idea of subject is somebody like you said somebody has authority over you and you are in submission you're honoring them as being kind of you know leading you guiding you um, and you are choosing to follow their guidance.
0: Okay good. Ruth. No I was just going to repeat
6: what everybody else is saying just so
0: it's obeying somebody else's will or authority. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, Tony, were you going to add anything to that? Did, did I see Tony come off?
7: No, I'm not yet. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Um,
0: all right, so yeah, so you guys did a pretty good job of explaining the idea behind the term. Um, so you can't always know what a word means by just looking at the roots of the word. Um, but this one, I think, does a pretty good job of giving you the sense. If you just look at the root of the word, um, to be subject, the, the word it comes from two Greek words, upo, tadzo. And, uh, and, and if, you, if, you're, if you look at um, the, those two words, one is to place yourself under, which I think that's the word that uh, Danny was using. Um, or, sorry, one is the word under, that's the Upo, um, and then tasso, which means to arrange or to uh, place yourself somewhere. So, the idea of submission or subjection is, and both, by the way, submission and subjection are typically in the Bible the same word translated uh, either subjection or submission. Um, the idea is to place yourself under someone. Which implies, as Mark was mentioning earlier, that there's some sort of supervision, some cert, sort of authority, some sort of order that God has designed. And that's what God, that's what Peter is saying here in, uh, in this letter, is that God has an order, that there's like some sort of order that the Lord has designed here um, in order for us to uh, fit into. And so... To be subject, when, when, uh, when we're called as children of God to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, that is to say that we're going to put ourselves under the people whom God has placed in authority over us. Um, and uh, you've already mentioned, I think somebody mentioned already here, some that he's going to talk about this in some different areas. First of all, submission to government and governing authorities. And then he's going to move into submission to, um, submission to masters, or you might think in our case here, uh, bosses, people are in authority over us on the job. Uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit about submission in the, in the marriage relationship and what that looks like in chapter three and verse one to seven. And then he has some further comments about what that looks like within the church. Um, so we're going to be spending some time here over the next couple of weeks uh, examining and exploring this idea of subjection. And so it's important to understand what that means. Uh, it, it means to place yourself under those in, uh, who have who've been given authority over you. And so uh, Peter talks about us needing that in, in the area of government, in the area of, uh, of, of on the job, and in the area of even in the home. Now, let me ask you this, Um, just looking at this big picture, why is subjection so important to our mission as Christians? And you can talk about this from a government perspective, from a job perspective, um, or just more generally, why is learning to be subject so important to our mission as Christians? Um, What do you see here in this? In this text, that helps us to understand why that's important. Oh. Go ahead, Daniel.
6: It helps us to be uh,
0: humble. Okay. So subjection is going to teach us humility. That's for sure. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. How does this help us with our mission? Other ideas or thoughts on that? How does learning to be subject in all these different areas of life help us to, uh, to, to, uh, to fulfill our mission? Uh, Mike and Candice and then Ruth.
2: Yeah, I would say it helps us in the mission because it lies contrary to what the world teaches. The world teaches us to um, put ourselves first, to do our own thing, and the philosophy of being subject to someone else, if we go along with that, it shows us how different we are. It shows us that um, we are a people who follow God, and when the world sees the fruit of that, they would be more inclined to follow us.
0: Okay, good. So it's, for one thing, it's kind of shocking to the world. And there's something about it, too, that's appealing. Uh, Ruth. Same. Yeah, Latoya, go ahead. Ruth, deferred.
6: <laughs> oh, no worries. I, I, it's probably along the same lines, but maybe worded a little bit differently. In a sense, it comes into reputation, right? So when you think about verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, and also 16 You know, the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we act, the fact that no one would have anything to say about us, it makes it a lot easier in our mission to be looked at or what we're saying to be held in esteem, right? Because it's not that we're, you know, living some, we're living a different life that's contrary to the world, but also it's something where it's like, whoa, this person can be considered trustworthy or reputable and not for our sake, but for the sake of pointing people back to Christ.
0: That's right. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Ruth. Yeah. I mean,
6: to me here, these are situations obviously in the world that we live in, it's completely difficult to do. So for the world to look at us being submitted, submitted under authority or any type of authority, even in marriage, um it looks peculiar it looks odd um and so people are gonna be suspicious about why we're doing this and which eventually points to that
0: yep gives you a lot of uh, opportunities to uh speak ryan did you have something
2: yeah um i think along the lines of Latoy, but a, a little more into our time especially um you know live such good lives among the pagans in verse 12 that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god this helps our work because if we're submitting to the authorities even when we're on shore, you know we're staying out of for lack of a better word like trouble or legal trouble or you know they can't accuse us um of anything that would take away from our effectiveness as spreading the gospel so if they were to say hey look at this guy over here like you know i know he stole from this store like he you know he took it and the guy didn't charge him, and he just left anyway. And he was mad. and He took off with like two loaves mm-hmm. of bread. You know, that would hamper our. That would get in the way of us spreading the gospel. Because then they'd say, "Oh yeah, he says he's a Christian. He's spreading the gospel." And and look, look what he's doing. You know, where he's not. He's not. You know, the police arrested him, and he's running away. Um, so it helps, like Little toys said, our reputation, because we see, especially in today's world, like everybody investigates your past, your present. If you do one thing wrong, you know that it's very easy for—I'm not saying it's right—but they will. They could very well take you out of the you know picture if you're trying to um, have a good reputation to spread the word, which is our mission.
7: Yeah, good, 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 good. Tony. Yeah, I just wanted to say also, in in addition to that reputation and God using it as, as somewhat of a, a ministry. Uh, to those who are around, um, I, I was reading something in verse 21, and I don't know, maybe this makes a connection. Um, but in verse 21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And I think that kind of ties in that this is part of our suffering, um, sharing in Christ's suffering, as, as we uh, spoke about in Romans. In Romans chapter 8 being, you know, that we share in Christ's suffering, then we'll also become co-heirs with him. So it, again, it's part of that that grooming process um, that God is doing with us. He's prepping us, you know, for, for that inheritance. And, and I think this is part of that uh, whole thing, because sometimes it's not easy to subject ourselves to human institution, human authority and stuff. like oftentimes it's not. Um, but Christ set the example for us, you know, and that's that's part of the suffering that we need to endure if we are to become heirs, co-heirs with him.
0: Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I think we're onto something there. A uh, close connection here between what we're called to do and what our Savior has done, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, so when I think about, I think about two things, um, one, it reminds me of when I was young, uh me and my brother used to wrestle a lot and fight and one of the things that we would say to each other is i'm gonna put you into submission um and the idea was i'm gonna i'm gonna put you down underneath of me i'm gonna arrange you underneath of me and put you uh in a hold where i can show you who's who's in charge who's got authority um you know i don't know if any of you guys use those use that kind of language when you're fighting your brothers um but uh but that's not the idea here of submission it's not the idea of of uh, focusing, um into some sort of place the idea here is quite the opposite um i don't know another thought that i had was uh i don't know if you guys have seen um the late chadwick Bozeman uh played jackie robinson in the movie 42 a few years back and, uh, and in the movie, there's a, there's a point at which Jackie is just being harassed and reviled and all kinds of horrible things were being done to him um, to the point at which he's ready to fight back. And uh, and the owner, I can't even remember his name at the moment, um, Cliff, I might need your help here, um, but uh, the owner comes up to him and he says, uh, he, 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 and I think it was Jackie said something looking for somebody with... Doesn't have the guts uh, to to fight back, and and the owner turns around and says, uh, "No, I'm looking for someone who has the guts to not fight back." That's the idea of subjection. You're gonna arrange yourself underneath of unjust suffering. But instead of fighting back and doing what your fleshly desires would lead you to to want to do you 're going to choose there we go branch Ricky, the owner of the brooklyn Dodgers Mike's coming through for us Thank you <laughs> um, but but the idea is instead of fighting back the way anybody would naturally desire to do you 're going to bear up under suffering you 're going to actually um, have the guts not to fight back. And that is what is so shockingly different to the world. And that is what is so appealing or gives uh, an appeal to be able to to present the gospel to, to the world. So just think about this um, when it comes to the area of government here. Uh, what do you see in verses 13 through uh, 17 about what subjection should look like When it comes to the authorities, people in government, how does it work or why is it so important or, or what is it going to uh, accomplish according to uh, verses 13
2: to 17? Hey, uh, Caleb, I think. um...
5: Sorry, good afternoon. Can you tell me what chapter you're on,
0: please? First Peter chapter two, we just read uh, verse 11 down through verse 25. Okay, thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Brian.
2: So I'm not looking at specific lines, but having, I just read it through again, I get a general feeling that, you know, the, the believer, the Christian in the world is kind of, in a way, is gaining favor of the people in authority. Um, they're submitting to the emperor, they're honoring the emperor um, as supreme authority, recognizing them. Um, we're submitting ourselves to governors who come to punish and a note that all the governors punish, but they also commend those who do right. So we could also be commended. Um, not that we're trying to just, you know, go out of our way to please them, but I think it's again, so that other people will look at us and we'll silence any talk that they have as far as us being, not being good people or being hypocrites. Um, but I get this feeling of kind of like through this, not by, through this, we are kind of, um, you know, not befriending, but we're kind of in good, um, kind of in, the rulers will see us as kind of people on their side in a way. Like we do pray for them, you know, like we're, we're on their side in some sense, unless it's somehow very ungodly or ungodly, I should say. And uh, I'm just getting that feeling that they, you know, that way we become more effective because we can, you know, it's like Paul, when he was in jail, he didn't swear at the jailers and tell them he shouldn't be there, he started talking to them about the Lord. Yeah, but isn't
0: that kind of weird, though? I mean, if, if Peter's spending a whole letter saying here that we are exiles and strangers and foreigners, um, and that we're set, we've we been set free, like we're, we're submitting to God, then why, why, why on earth are we under the authority of all these governmental leaders, particularly when a lot of them are evil, and they're, they in and of themselves are not always submissive to God? Um, so doesn't that seem kind of strange? If you're alien stranger, why, you have to, uh, why do you have to live in this order underneath of all these uh, authorities? Um,
5: well, Can I make a little comment, Caleb, on yeah, that, what ahead. you said? Um, I see that they are also Christ's blood shed for them, died for them, you know, for the whole world. And God wants all men to be saved you know, pertaining to what you were saying. So that that is my, you know, thought that um, with all these authorities we had to submit to is that they would come to Christ, that we do what God have us to do and God will do what he has to do with them because Jesus died for them as well. You know, his blood shed for, for the whole human race that they would be saved.
0: Okay, good. So somehow this command to be subject is supposed to allow us an opportunity to fulfill our mission to bring others to, uh, to Christ. Um, Ruth, uh, go ahead.
6: Yeah. So I think it's two things that's happening here. If you look at, um, 15, um, actually, no verse 14, I think the idea of God's justice is is present that God is a just God. He's about, um, punishing evil and he's about rewarding grace. So he's giving an allusion to the world about authority right. and for us as Christians to kind of um, imitate. But it's also in this thing that we're doing, even when it's done unjustly, like Christ, Christ, you know, before, you know, while he was child, he was unjustly child and unjustly crucified. Yet he was crucified. So when he suffered, so just like him. In order to be conformed to him we need to kind of suffer unjustly for his sake
0: good i think you're on to something there mike and candace i think one of you had something go ahead
1: Ruth just said what i was gonna say actually okay. <laughs> just to the fact that um when you look at when you look at the uh, passion narrative, like the whole crucifixion of Jesus and what Jesus did, you know the Jews were accusing him; they were shouting, and he was silent, right? I mean, even later down in verse what 23 or whatever it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile again; when he was threatened, he did not he, he did not threaten in return. And you know that was an think about how we remember Christ versus how we remember the accusatory Jews, right? Christ was the ultimate good. He did all of that for us. And we remember the Jews as being pretty much evil and crucifying him. It's like the complete opposite. And so too, I guess, we in this world, when we're subject to the government, we're setting an example, just as Christ set an example. And we're drawing people to Christ, just as he, when he was lifted up, drew people onto him. I guess that's the parallel
3: I see.
0: Yeah, good, good, good. And you can see, too, how if, you, if you're thinking about this from the perspective of new Christians scattered across the uh, Roman emperor, you've now found the Lord. Now you know what is true righteousness, justice, and truth. And you look around at your governing authorities, and, and they're not always that, that godly of people. I mean, a lot of unrighteousness, a lot of injustice, a lot of evils being done. You might see how some of the, some of the saints might get the idea, hey, we've been set free in Christ Therefore, we don't have to obey these leaders. We don't have to obey our rulers. We don't have to follow them. We know that they're corrupt. We know that they're just uh, temporal. We're, we serve the Lord. Therefore, we can do it. And notice what he says in verse 16 live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. That is, everything that we do as Christians is, to say the way he said it in verse 13. Um, for the Lord's sake, every, every decision that I make, every uh, choice that I make is to be made for the Lord's sake, ultimately to bring about uh, other people coming to know him. And that includes people in governing authorities. So you know what this means? It, it, it means that I don't submit to the government as long as they're um, right or just. It doesn't mean that I, I, don't, I only submit to the government when it's my own party who has power. Um, it means that I'm going to be submissive. I'm going to be respectful. Notice verse 17. I'm going to honor those in authority. I'm going to love the brotherhood. I'm going to fear God enough to be respectful uh, towards people in power, regardless of whether I appreciate them or, or like them or feel like they, sh- they are right to be in that place or not. Ultimately, I'm going to submit myself. And by so doing, I'm giving people an opportunity to see the the gospel at work in me. Notice what Paul's saying here is that the gospel is not just something we preach with our words. It's something we live in our bodies or with our lives. That is, it's not just a message that we share, but also a message that we live and demonstrate by the way that we walk. Um, And that's gonna affect every aspect of our life here. Um, We need to learn submission when it comes to governing authorities. And I just want to challenge you here um, because all of us have leaders over us that we would prefer to not see in power. All of us have people in authority over us who we would prefer were not in power over us. And that is not an excuse for me to disobey this text. That is not an excuse for me to disregard the teaching that God has given. God has given me a mission. And if I care about evangelism, and if I care about people coming to glorify God, then I'm gonna be subject to those who are in authority over me. That means I'm not gonna be disrespectful. I'm not gonna be slanderous. I'm not gonna be dishonorable in the way that I treat those in authority. As much as I'm able to, I'm gonna obey the government as long As long as they 're not leading me for, to disobey the lord i 'm going to obey i 'm going to obey them because God has put them in authority and has put them in that place so submission in the government doesn 't get any easier from there let 's talk a little bit about submission um, on the job or submission for servants with masters. What do you see in verses eighteen to uh, to twenty What do we learn from this text about what subjection looks like? or um, what's hard about it, or, or, or why it's so important to be subject on the job. What do you guys see in verses 18 to 20? It says to be
6: subject to things
0: that may be unjust. All right, good. So subject even when they may be unjust. Um, so not just when your boss is everything you want him to be, not just when your boss is telling you happy Thanksgiving and giving you a free turkey, but uh, also when your boss is a jerk and when your boss is uh, asking you to do more than he rightly should or she rightly should, um, even when your boss is unreasonable. Good. What else do you guys see in verses 18 to 20 that helps us with subjection?
2: Hey Kayla, just um, because you you jumped a little from the the government, I just wanted to say, uh, I I think uh, open honest criticism within with respect is included in the, um, respect and submission. It's not saying you'll disobey or disrespect the people in power, but you can criticize, uh, what they might be doing, especially when you're like talking about voting or, um, yeah.
0: I'm, I mean, I would argue that the gospel is inherently critical of every person. So uh, absolutely, when Paul spoke to people in authority who were living in ungodly ways, he taught them, he called them to repentance. And that okay. ought to be our focus too. But it's not, and I'll just, clar- I'll just clarify here, Brian, it's not yeah. a careless criticism right. of everything that's happening. Right. Every action that we take as it relates to the government and society is with respect to our mission as right. left exiles to lead people to glorify God. So if I'm right. going to criticize, I'm not just criticizing because I don't like something that's being done. Right. If I'm going right. to criticize, it's because I'm calling people to righteousness and to repentance and to God's way so right. that they might be saved and they might come to glorify God.
4: Thanks right. for pointing
0: that out. I think that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and we got to be, you know, this is the hard part about subjection is it's not going to always look exactly the same in every circumstance.
2: And, and I think we can. I think we can even, if we're going to make a criticism, we can search the scriptures to see if if our criticism could possibly be also be uh, defended or justified through scripture.
0: That's right. Absolutely. That's a wise.
5: Hi, Caleb. As you talking about that, I reflect on John the Baptist when he um, stood and tell. This man in authority that he can have his brother's wife.
6: That's right.
5: And you know, John the Baptist lost his head for Earth. for um, showing that righteousness. You know, to doing right to those in authority. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, which is a good reminder that uh, actually speaking truth, particularly to people in power, may be quite costly. I think that's in large part why Peter's writing this letter is because he knows for them to live out a godly life and to preach the gospel and to live the gospel is gonna cost them a great deal um, and lead them to all sorts of suffering. So good point, good point. Let's talk a little bit about uh, life on the job and, uh, and, and what does subjection look like on the job? Um, evidence already got us going here with, uh, it's, it's not just uh, being subject to my boss or, or, or those in authority over me. When they're being reasonable, but even when they're being unreasonable. Um, so, uh, what else do you guys see in verses 18 to 20 that maybe um, is helpful or maybe raises some questions or causes some uh, consternation for you uh, or struggle, something you're struggling with from uh, verse 18 to 20? What do you want to see? Brittany, go ahead.
6: I just think that- for me, sometimes it's like a hard line to draw between are you being subject to somebody who's being unreasonable or are you like advocating and standing up for yourself and not getting bulldozed over? Um and I I really don't have a comment kind of beyond that. I just find it really hard to hold in my head and like what's the right thing to do versus what is the wrong thing to do. And does it mean that you're just kind of like blindly following that person? Even if they're not asking you to say, do something sensible, but if it's like your boss who's asking totally unreasonable things, like how do you kind of manage that? So, just something I find really challenging.
0: Yes, thank you for yeah. sharing that. Because uh, I, I know a lot of people are thinking exactly that. So, I'm glad you shared it. Ruth is, has the answers for us. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I do not have You're all the answers. Could, could you repeat what you said? My
2: phone just picked her up.
0: Uh, yeah, Brittany was pointing out that uh, how do you handle that when you have a boss who's unreasonable and and if continually asking uh, asking more of you than uh, than what is fair or or reasonable. Um, yeah. On top of that, you know you feel like if 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 you don't speak out or stand up, um, then what's going to happen to you, or how's that going to yeah. affect? You? Maybe they're not telling you to do something that's literally sinful, but they're doing right. things that in, in other ways are are detrimental to you. So go ahead, Ruth. We're all eagerly anticipating your answer.
6: No. Um, For our personal context here, um, I can kind of see there's a little bit more room for me to talk because it's harder in other places. Um, But I would say that there is, you know, in the the previous chapters when he says that God gives, um, you know, basically this picture that God is giving authority to people to, you know, Exhibits his justice or his praise, whatever. I feel like um, when we ask Christians, a lot of the times when we read these um, these passages or letters or encouragement to subject ourselves to authority, people automatically hear, "Oh, endure sin or abuses." Um, when we'd also have authority, we also have God gave us HR. God right. gave us some laws, God gave us some things to help us not endure those kind of harmful things. Right. So I don't think it's um, anything wrong if someone sins against you or um, in a way that's extremely harmful to be as a Christian to not kind of seek justice or you know stand up for yourself. But I also think that sometimes um, there's a picture of us being to the extreme that when our boss is asking for something that's unreasonable that we are capable of doing, but we just don't want to. We tend to go, we look at the thing of, ah, I just don't want to do it, he's being unreasonable, when God is probably kind of tugging at you to kind of subject and lay down your rights to do so. So if it's it's not harmful to the point of us not, it's going to look differently for everybody obviously no one could put that on you but I do think that we should somehow it's a situation that we need to at least be slow to and ask God to kind of like hey what are you what is what's happening in my heart is it something I just don't want to do it because I just want to you know have my rights and talk about these different things but I think it's going to it's going to change for different for different people if that makes sense.
0: It does make some sense. And I think you said some helpful things here. So there are, there is one key distinction. When we talk about this in light of uh, in the workplace um, and we're trying to apply these principles, there is one key distinction here in that when, when you're a servant and you have a master, you can't quit your job. You know Um, there may not, there's likely not an HR uh, department to go to and report your master for being unfair uh, and and brutal. So that certainly would be a key distinction today where Christians today If they're being treated unfairly or unjustly, they have the right to leave the job, um, to quit the job, or to appeal to HR, whom God has put governing authorities over to actually keep people in in check and to lead them to do what's right. But let me just pause here and, and point out verse 19. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is God's grace. Remember this book is about the true grace of God. This is God's grace when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So this can be challenging. And by the way, um, we were talking about Daniel earlier, who was very submissive to those in authority over him, his boss, his governing authorities, and yet there were times in which Daniel and his three friends actually stood up to the authorities and refused to do what they were told to do because their boss, their governing authority, was leading them to do something they believed would not be pleasing to the Lord. And I wanna tell you that in a world like this today and in a city like Brooklyn, you are often gonna have bosses who are gonna try to lead you to do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And sometimes that may be things that are overtly sinful. Other times that may be something that's more subtly sinful. Because you might say, well, hey, working 15 hours every day, there's nothing sinful about that. Um, But if your job becomes your idol, if your job becomes your life, then that is clearly something that's going to keep you from being able to be pleasing to God. But here's the key. Whenever I object, whenever I appeal, whenever I cry out for um, for, um, help or for rescue from unjust suffering, it ought to be that those decisions are made out of my mindfulness for God. And it also ought to be that every decision that I make when I choose to endure sorrows on the job is made because of mindfulness of God. That is, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for my own promotion. I'm not doing it in any way to benefit me. I'm not just going through it, um, you know, uh, because uh, I'm too scared to to, to address it. I'm doing, uh, whatever decisions I'm making on the job, I'm making those decisions to be pleasing to God. And actually one of the ways that we get to demonstrate God's grace to the world is by enduring sorrows, suffering unjustly on the job. And I need to embrace that as a child of God. Whatever that looks like, in whatever role I'm in, I need to embrace that and use that for the glory of God. Now, this still sounds a little bit, I mean, borderline crazy and borderline, you know, subjecting yourself to all sorts of abuse and, uh, and all sor- sorts of craziness. Um, but nonetheless, he says it again in verse uh, 20, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So think about this. When your boss is mean to you and you are kind in return to them, when people in power uh, overwork you and you are, are gracious and loving and you don't put extra work on them even when they're putting extra work on you, when you act in those sorts of ways, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is grace to God. And this is what I want us to notice is that we, as the people of God, have an opportunity to participate in the true grace of God. That is, it's not just grace is not just something we receive. It's something that we give. And that, 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 that is true in our relationship towards the government. We give grace to the government that often governing authorities do not deserve. And that is also true on the job, that we give grace to our coworkers, to our bosses, to those in authority over us that often they do not deserve. All right, let me pause there. What do you guys want to say? Other thoughts, comments on uh, Brittany's question or things related to that through verse 20 before we uh, look at the end here, 21 to 25. Anybody else want to chime in here? I know some of you guys have suffered on the job, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mike and Candace.
1: So verse 20 reminds me of Luke 6, 32 to 36 that can, that says like, you know, the whole passage just says, but if you love those who love you, what credit? do you have? For even sinners right. do the And if you do good, like what profit do you have? Because sinners do the same. And it ends in verse 30, uh, I think 35. Um, it says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. For your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the untankful and evil. Um, therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I guess that the passage in First Peter just brought me back to Um, I guess this was, uh, I think this passage that I read here from Luke 6 was from his Sermon on the Mount, maybe. Um, And I see the connection there. I also do think, um, as to what you were saying concerning, I don't think um, not retaliating is the same as not saying something, if you understand what I'm saying. I feel like even when you look at Jesus, right, and the same thing I was talking about, before with his interactions with Pilate. I mean, he literally said to Pilate, hey, you wouldn't be in power if it wasn't for God. Like he didn't, he was, there were times that he was completely silent and he definitely did not retaliate, but that didn't mean that he didn't point out sin because I think in that same thing I was talking about with Pilate, he did say to Pilate, you know what, the one who delivered me to you has the greatest sin. So he pointed out the the, the sin of the chief priests and, and Pharisees. So it wasn't, it's just that not retaliating wasn't the same thing as not saying
0: something. That's my point. I think you're onto something there. Richard, go ahead.
4: Hey, um, <clears throat> a couple of things just came to mind. Uh, and you mentioned that at um, the workplace. <laughs> the balance of it. I think, well, one of the things is that we, re- we have to remember that we are uh, a part of um, God's royal family. And like you pointed out, when you are a part of a royal family and you go to a foreign nation, you represent your nation.
6: That's right. and,
4: if, and if your king says, hey, when you go to this nation, here's what I want you to do. you know, Submit yourself to king, whoever that king is and their authority because you're representing me. And so as you go there and conduct yourself, it's what you were saying earlier, as you uh, go around in a respectful and a submissive and you conduct yourself a certain way, you're doing that for your king, really. You know, you're you're respecting their authority because your king said, I want you to do this. And there is something honorable um, in, uh, suffering and silence that people see because like everyone has pointed out wor- the world, worldliness doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So when they see you be honorable in situations where you could easily not be honorable um, sometimes people look at that like I think of examples of Joseph and Daniel in the Bible people look at that and go "Well, who, who, is, who is this guy's God? Who is this woman's God? that she's able to submit in this way, keep composure, and and do it in a way that has grace and honor. Like, who is this you work for? I, I'm interested to know, because you, you do things in a different way. And I think the, that beauty of that uh, is that it does point people to God and to Christ. And lastly, uh, but I do think that Ruth has some good wisdom in terms of today's workplace. You have to use wisdom and discernment. But lastly, I've learned you have to, you leave room for God to fight your battles and to leave revenge. Vengeance is his. And I've worked in workplaces where things have been unjust and not good. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and and stayed in faith. And then I've seen days when it was clear to me that God made a move in that place that i had been praying about. And I think that there's a, there's some there's a justice as Ruth also will say. God has a justice way if you can stay in faith and let him let his power take authority. So um that's what I was my thoughts were.
5: Amen. God is- amen. Amen.
0: So- Tony, were you gonna say something?
7: Yeah, I've been trying to think about this i'm just thinking a lot um you know again in, in 20 verse 21 it says to this you have been called um you know and it's it's a fine line between that you know I, I was just thinking about in the past well uh before we had moved back to brooklyn um i was in a job where i was in a pretty bad spot where i was being subjected to a lot of stuff um you know, that was really unfair, you know, and, and kind of, there was one guy, he was, he was pretty bad and he was like, he would sabotage my work and he'd go around, he'd insult me in front of people all the time. Um, and he would do stuff like sabotage my tools or whatever he can do to make me have a really hard time at work. And I complained to HR and I complained to, you know, management and stuff like that, but they were just taking his side. And the, the only thing that happened was I got the short end of the stick where I got less than desirable tasks to do during the day well he got to do you know continue in his spot um and i remember these scriptures uh being part of my you know my focus during that time and it wasn't a short time either it was about two or three years of this um and so i just you know i determined to submit myself to them um as long as i was there you know and determined to do good even when this guy like frustrated me like i would still go fix things for him quietly he would break my things purposely and and, and tell the whole world over the radio like yeah tony did this or tony did that you know um and the end result like you know as far as a ministry goes it didn't really do anything for the ministry um nobody everybody kind of just looked at me that were friends of mine that said oh you're nuts for putting up with this or whatever i didn't really have a choice because i had a wife and children to to provide for Um, but Looking back now, it taught me a lot of patience, and God used a lot of that to mold me, um, and I think that's where verse 21 and follows comes into play, where this is part of God molding us into the image of Christ.
0: I think you're on to something, so uh, we've, we've been kind of jumping around on this. I'd like for us to move, kind of turn that direction, if we can, verses 21 and twenty to 25. Could I have a comment? I know you got a couple of things to add here, but before we go there, I just want to kind of turn the direction here. I want us to think about what does the gospel have to say and what does the gospel teach us that can help us to live this kind of life? Because I, I, it's obvious what being, what we're being called to do here is extremely difficult, um, extremely Challenging and a good bit of suffering involved in it but what do, what does the gospel give us or what does the example of Jesus offer us that can help us to live this out? Go ahead, sister James go ahead
5: yeah, I just want to comment on what the guy was just talking about his job and the persecution that he was receiving um, we We all go through that I go through those things too when I was working I retire, but um what we to do as he said he went to complain to the boss, right. but they wouldn't do anything because you're going to unrighteous people remember God said in his word that the world take care of theirs but they don't really the world hate the Christians you know so our complaint when things are happening we our complaint is to God we need to go to God and talk to God about the situation and sometimes God wants us to thank him you know, in the situation, and I see, I do that at times. When, when because he said, in everything, to give God thanks, whether it be good or whether it be evil, and therefore we will suffer some evil as well. God tells us that in His word, evil is going to come to us as well. But how do we respond? You know, to that, God say, respond, give thanks. He said, give thanks, thank God. Right there, you need to thank God when something is going on against you and it's evil you just start to thank god there just start to thank him and i see god work i see he work and deal with the situation when you start to thank him so he said thank him when when evil come thank him when good come you know and he's going to work it out He's has like he said, like said he's going to fight your battles that's when we take god position he will fight our battles
0: yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you. So how, how does Ooh. Jesus' example here um, help us with this? And how does Jesus' example um, show us the way? How does he help us to uh, live this out in our calling and fulfill our mission? Go ahead, Brian.
2: Um, well, that's Isaiah that's quoted in verse 22, right? It is. Okay. So in all this, because I was also in the experience for over years of – um, before I came to this church, but I was pretty reading a lot on my own, uh, the Bible and these specific passages. So um, I'm not gonna really go into that. But the idea is that um, if we're in the situation, you know, we can, we can even read the gospel and think, how can we um, uh, either, um, you know, make the complaint or retaliate. And um, I think that's, has, there's definitely a proper place for that. And I even did that. However, The example of Jesus taking it and not um, going to God or someone and complaining about these people um, leaves him with the quote, which is, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Partially that, I, I think, is when you get into that situation where someone's being really unrighteous to you and you try to take, try to use the world's like someone said, the world's arguments against people in the world, because, you know, you're going to say, hey, that's not fair, because the law says you have to treat me this way. You're talking about the world and the world, and someone can be unrighteous. They are unrighteous. You can, in that complaining, in that reporting, you can say something wrong accidentally, or maybe you're just too out of control, um, which I think might be like, you might commit sin, or you might have some deceit in your mouth. But if you know... You're doing just like Christ did. It can give you a comfort. You can take that pain that they're giving you and you can say, you know, instead of going in there yelling and being angry, which is also something that anger, you know, it's hurtful. You can get a release by thinking, you know what? I know that Christ didn't do this. He just accepted it. He gave it to God. Like she just said before me and God takes care of the situation that's put in my lap. You know, he will clear it out and it gives you a comfort to be able to do that to act just like jesus because he was the example so you don't have to feel like oh is this a mistake am i being way too much of a pushover
0: yeah i think that's true and that's very helpful this is what you shared there's more though what else do you guys see in verses uh, 21 to 25 how does jesus example help us to live out our calling of suffering and submission even in the face of unjust governors and authorities and even in the face of unjust bosses or masters on the job what do you guys see in 21 to 25 at
1: the conclusion of uh, verse 25 it says for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd so we've come back to christ by completely trusting in him and not having to feel as if we're fighting our own battles
0: that's good. I think we're on to something. How did we come back to Christ according to verses 21 to 25? Maybe this will help us to see a connection here back with verses 11 and 12 where we started. What was it that brought us back to Christ? What was it that we were straying, we were going the wrong direction? But now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls and what brought us back. So think about this and think about what Peter is saying here. Um, notice, the, notice how he begins uh, in verse 21, that Christ also suffered for you. And he left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. And then he says, you know, Jesus committed no sin. He didn't have any deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Not only did he entrust himself to the one who judges justly, but he himself bore our sins in his body on his, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. Now, Go back to chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 again and notice what he says, Um, specifically verse 12. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's what I want you to see. You know, Jesus did a lot of good deeds, didn't he? He went about uh, doing good. That's one of the ways that Peter described his ministry in Acts chapter 10. Um, Jesus kept his conduct good among the nations. Uh, and even though he did that, how did people speak about him? They spoke about him as an evildoer. They often reviled him. They, sa- they spread lies about him. They threatened him. And yet, even as all that went down, some saw his good deeds, his suffering, his unjust suffering, his willingness to suffer freely for, other, for the sake of others as a grace toward them. And by that, they were converted and came to glorify God. In fact, let me just say that another way. You know, Jesus kept his conduct honorable. And meanwhile, truth be told, I was, we were speaking against him through our own stubborn rebellion. You know, many of us used to say bad things about Jesus. Many of us used to live in ways that were hurtful towards him, that reviled him or damaged him in some sort of a way. And yet, instead of what Jesus could have done, he could have crushed us. He could have punished us. He could have destroyed us. What did Jesus do? He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He died for us. And I want you to think about this. What was it that converted you to glorifying God? It was when you saw his good conduct, his honorable conduct, when you saw the good deeds that he did, and when you saw Jesus go to the cross and suffer on the cross, a completely unjust suffering, but do so with grace and an unwillingness to revile or attack in return. What did that do? It led you to glorify God. In the day of visitation, now I say all that to say this. Do you see what Paul, what Peter is saying here? What Peter is saying here is that Jesus is inviting us to come and participate in the process of bringing souls to Christ of bringing souls to glorify God, and this is the way we participate in it. You know, normally we think of the way we participate in bringing souls to Christ is we go out and we preach the good news. And that is true. Remember back in chapter 2 and in verse, uh, and verse 9, he says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, whole, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim his excellencies. So part of the way that we spread the gospel is through proclaiming the excellencies of God. But there's more. Jesus didn't come just to preach. He came to live the gospel. He didn't just preach the gospel. He lived the gospel. Well, how did he live it? He chose to submit to God and to submit to others, to arrange himself under others, to consider others more important than himself. And it took him to a cross. And you know what happened? Even though we may used to speak about him as an evildoer, when we saw his good deed, when we saw the extent to which he was willing to sacrifice and do good for us. We came around, we came to glorify God on the day of visitation. And here's what I want us to see. The truth is that what Jesus is offering us is an opportunity to join him in suffering so that others might come to see our, our good deeds and to glorify God on the day of visitation. This is a, that's what this is. It's an invitation for us to join him, to walk beside him, to suffer with him so that more and more people might come to know him and might come to glorify him. It will only happen if we'll be willing to suffer with him. All right, we're, we're out of time. Um, I'm sorry for going on a long uh, sermon there at the end. I want to say one more thing about this, because everything about this sounds almost impossible. It sounds like it's crushing. It sounds like it's not you know, it's not, this is too much. Why would God ask me to suffer? Why would God ask me to go through things that are hard? Why would God have me ask me to endure sorrows when people around me are mistreating me and saying bad things about me and they're not honoring me and they're not faithful uh, and just and righteous uh, godly judges or governors anyway? So why do I have to respect them? Well, there's a key here in the text that it says about Jesus that I think is helpful here for us to remember. One of the reasons why we fear submitting to God in areas like this, and one of the reasons why we fear, uh, you know, considering others more important than ourselves and suffering for their sake, is we fear that if I give up everything for other people, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to be there to provide for me? I can't suffer. I can't sacrifice all that. I can't give all that away. Because if I was to suffer and sacrifice to that extent, who's going to take care of me? Notice Jesus did all this. Why? Because he was entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to a faithful creator who he knew was going to take care of him in the end. And I want to tell you, the only way we will, we will be able to suffer and sacrifice is we've been called to suffer and sacrifice, both in society and with the governing authorities and also on the job. The only way I'm, I have the strength to do that is if I'm trusting fully in a faithful creator who will protect me and who will provide for me. And as Richard shared earlier, he will deliver me from all of my sufferings, from all of my pain. He will not allow me to suffer beyond what I am able, but with every trial will provide a way of escape. We got to put our trust in him. And if we put our trust in him, we can be sure that he'll be with us every step of the way.
5: Hey, Bill, I have a comment. Sure. Um, on what, um, what you said is really true. But for me, I look at All this, that we have to trust God because this world is a a temporal world and our life is temporal here. And therefore, we don't want to go to hell. We sure want to make it to heaven. You know, so we have to hold on to God, you know, that we will make it to eternal life and not hell. So this is why we have to go through all this because the Bible said Jesus suffered for us. So we have to bear our cross we have to suffer as well, you know, but we must hold on because we have to remember there's a heaven and there's a hell and we don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven.
0: Yep. Yeah, amen. Amen. And while this is hard, it'll all be worth it when we get to be reunited with the Lord. That's for sure. God is not doing this to crush us or to destroy us. In, in fact, when I read this, when I read this text, something about this text totally changed my view of suffering Um, because what it did for me is it helped me to realize I'm not just suffering. It's not just like I'm suffering without a purpose down here. I'm suffering so that others, not just so that I could be saved, but so that others could come to glorify God and experience the same joy of salvation that I too have got to experience, not because of anything that I deserved or anything that I had earned, but because of Jesus' gracious willingness to suffer for my sake what a beautiful-
5: amen so true amen
0: yeah so thank you guys so much for the class today um i want to stop here because we went a little bit over today uh, we're going to finish with a prayer um but uh if anybody wants to stay on discuss more if you want to raise more questions or discuss this more have more thoughts feel free to do so so let's pray together thank you father so much for your word today and thank you for the example of jesus lord you have called us to follow in his footsteps so help us oh god when we are reviled, when people speak against us as evildoers, Lord, please help us to continue to do good deeds, to keep our conduct honorable, to abstain from all fleshly desires which wage war against our soul. And in so doing, Lord, may you use us just as you use Jesus Christ to bring about our salvation, and just as his suffering led us to come to glorify you, we pray, O God, that our suffering might lead others to come to glorify your name. Help us, O God, to be faithful to the mission you called us to. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.
7: Amen.
5: Amen.
4: The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.